What does it take to create a world-class collection? A good eye, a forward thinker, or just being in the right place at the right time? Welcome to On Collecting, a Monocle 24 production with Sotheby's, where I, Chiara Rimella, will lead you through some of the world's most exciting collections in art, fashion, furniture, and beyond. We'll be looking at collections that have defined eras and informed the cultural canon, and we'll learn about the people behind them. In this episode, we're taking a look at the art collection of the American businessman William S. Paley. He had a prescient sense of what impacted people and what would move people. And he had his finger on the pulse of America. William S. Paley's life would have been remarkable even if his art collection was its only achievement. But Paley was a towering figure in U.S. culture who transformed the broadcasting industry as the head of CBS for more than half a century. Here's Monocle's New York radio correspondent Henry Reese Sheridan with the story of Paley's revolutionary career. In 1927, a group of businessmen in Philadelphia banded together to buy a struggling network of 16 local radio stations. The network was called the Columbia Phonographic Broadcasting System, and the group of businessmen was led by William S. Paley. Paley, who was 26 at the time, was interested in radio as a way to advertise his family's cigar business. And this plan was swiftly brought into effect. But Paley developed a vision for the network that went beyond cigar advertising. In the 1920s, broadcasting networks made most of their revenue through the sale of programmes to local stations. Paley reimagined this business model. He stopped charging the local stations high fees for programming. Instead, he sold programmes to them for a nominal sum on the condition that they were broadcast during peak listening hours. Paley would then sell commercial slots scheduled within these programmes to advertisers. This reinvention of the broadcast business model proved to be wildly successful. By the 1940s, Paley's network, which was known by then simply as Columbia Broadcasting System, or CBS, had expanded into television. Luckily, Paley had been, in his own words, born with a sense of what was important to the American public. Under Paley's leadership, CBS developed some of the most innovative and popular programmes in 20th century broadcasting. In terms of entertainment, CBS's roster included The Ed Sullivan Show, I Love Lucy and Gunsmoke, all among the most beloved shows of the post-war era. Paley also worked with journalist Edward R. Murrow to build up CBS's news division into one of the most respected in the world. While all this was going on, Paley pursued a rich array of extracurricular activities. But arguably Paley's most sustained field of interest and activity was modern art. Paley began collecting art in the 1930s. A visit to the private collection of Paul Cezanne's son during a trip to Europe kicked off an intense interest in modern painting. Paley began to build relationships with the small number of dealers who handled such works at the time. He would go on to acquire pieces by some of the most significant artists in modern painting, including Picasso, Matisse and Francis Bacon. 
One of the most striking things about Paley's approach to collecting art is how much it seemed to contradict his approach to broadcast programming. Paley's success in broadcasting was built on his understanding of what was popular among the public. But his taste in art was progressive. Few modern painters were well known at the time he was collecting them. The small scale of many of the works in Paley's collection also suggests that it was meant mainly for his personal enjoyment. Paley rarely welcomed art world guests into his home or allowed his collection to be photographed. But Paley's concern with art wasn't entirely personal. He was made a trustee of the Museum of Modern Art in New York in 1937, just eight years after the institution was founded. This was the start of a working relationship with the museum that lasted over 50 years, including stints as MoMA's president and chairman. By the time Paley died in 1990, the artists represented in his collection had become some of the most widely celebrated in the world. He left his collection of more than 80 works of art to the William S. Paley Foundation for donation to the Museum of Modern Art. Now, more than 20 works acquired by Paley over his 40-year collecting career will come to auction for the first time in at least half a century. The proceeds will support a number of charitable organisations close to Paley's heart. These include the Paley Museum, the Green Park Foundation, and a new endowment at the Museum of Modern Art. The endowment will advance MoMA's goals in digital media and technology and provide for new acquisitions. The idea of using the proceeds from the sale of his modern paintings to explore new digital terrain makes sense in the context of Paley's life. His ability to look to the future and see where things were going was both the basis of his business success in broadcasting and why his personal art collection was so ahead of the curve. If Paley was around now, there's no question that the digital revolution we're living through in art and beyond would be among the many interests occupying his visionary mind. This November, Sotheby's will be auctioning artworks that Paley bought, including pieces by Picasso, Rodin and Rousseau. This collection is notable for bringing European modernism to America and for shaping the Museum of Modern Arts collection. Brooke Lampley is Chairman and Worldwide Head of Sales for Global Fine Art at Sotheby's. From New York, she tells me about the significance of William S. Paley's collection. William Paley's collection really bridged the history of the 20th century, beginning with European avant-garde painting, Impressionism from... Odilon Redon and post-impressionists like André Durand to canonical artists like Picasso represented in our sale, but as well in the museum collection, Henri Matisse and other great examples. Then following along with history, ultimately he arrived at more avant-garde European art and then ultimately pursued American abstractionists like Kenneth Nolan, Morris Lewis, fantastic examples of the newest painting in America at the time that he was collecting. So he forged the narrative of continuity between European avant-garde and American abstract painting that would become the backbone narrative of the Museum of Modern Art. And so much of the history that we tell of 20th century, particularly painting, but art, 
today. This is fascinating, particularly because I think obviously right now when we hear these names, they are absolutely inscribed in our history. You know, we think of them as absolutely the pillars of what we imagine when we think about 20th century art. And yet, can you give us a bit of an idea of what it would have been like for someone in Paley's time to actually be collecting these works when they were at the avant-garde? What did it mean to be collecting Picassos in the US at the time? When Paley was collecting these works, it was before the formation in many instances of these institutions that have informed and created the canon as we know it today and cemented our regard for artists like Picasso and Matisse and made us comfortable with painting that at the time was truly radical and revolutionary. And for a lot of people, hard to look at and hard to understand. So, I mean, when we talk about William Paley's influence, he was there at the crucible, the founding of the Museum of Modern Art, and he was collecting with his own eyes and his own heart, the works that moved him at the same time that the museum was being founded. And many of his important works in his collection are some of the most important works in the Museum of Modern Art collection today. How would you say his vision ended up shaping MoMA? What kind of influence has it had on MoMA and ultimately in the way that we understand the kind of course of our history today? He was buying what he loved. And it just so happens that he had a great eye and insight and that rightly came to inform the view of the collection, but he wasn't buying to be influential. He was buying art that he loved to live with and he lived with it for the duration of his life. What was particularly prescient, I think, was the unification of um, vanguard figurative works with non-representational abstraction. That has become a commonplace in the way that we understand art history. And so many people today combine works of those different modes. It's almost second nature to us that Picasso and his fellows in many ways and and Cezanne anticipated and created the opportunity for abstraction. But in the very moment to be hanging a Rousseau quite naive handling of a still life, floral still life, alongside a Kenneth Nolan target painting is pretty bold. You wouldn't necessarily see how those works speak to each other. And William Paley's collecting bridged all of that evolution. Here's someone who is clearly comfortable at the vanguard and believed in his instincts to seek out the new and and that's something we could all learn from. Another aspect of his prescience that I think is particularly relevant is that once he bequeathed his works, he understood that in the future they might be sold for different kinds of activities to those that he could even have imagined at the time. And right now, the proceeds of this sale are going to be going to a number of organizations and initiatives. And part of the funds are also going to be used towards funding digital expansion for MoMA, as well as new acquisitions. But how do you think, again, that speaks to his spirit in terms of this connection between communications and newness and the power of art? From where I sit, I have to confess that William Paley's 
prescience in how he directed this gift or the foundation's latitude with the proceeds is one of the most visionary things about him. For him to have anticipated that it's not just the art that's powerful, but it is where art's going and the future needs of the organization and perhaps you know, future directions that they would need to move into and expand into, that's incredibly visionary thinking. And it's something I'm, I'm so impressed by. This would suggest that William Paley was satisfied that he had a profound legacy and his legacy is to continue to impact the future. Um, and I think that's an incredibly beautiful and wise thing. It's like, he's still with us and he's still participating in the culture and furthering the culture of today. Among the works up for sale this November is Pablo Picasso's Cubist still life, Guitar sur un table. Paley was particularly interested in still life paintings as a way for an artist to explore how we perceive and represent the world. The artwork carries an estimate in excess of $25 million, and to tell us more about it is the art critic Amma Rose Abrams. It is a masterwork by a master at a period that is considered his most influential. We all love Picasso. We all know his oeuvre and all of it is important, but this is kind of him at the peak, really, of the zeitgeist in his life, so it's just fantastic. And this painting is, I think you'd recognise it instantly as a cubist work. It is a still life. It's in pastels and it is a picture of a guitar, which is a motif that we all recognise throughout Picasso's oeuvre. Again, he painted guitars many times. And it's deconstructed in the way that you would immediately associate with a cubist work. It's there, but it's not there. And you can just see how remarkable this is just by looking at it, you don't really need to know much about Picasso or about post-impressionism or about art to know that this is a remarkable work. It just strikes you immediately and I think that is just one of the reasons why this is such an important painting and such an exciting painting to see come to auction. He is happy, he is married, he goes on holiday with his wife and they spend this wonderful time together and this painting is of something that they saw and then he captured it in his mind's eye, came back to Paris inspired and refreshed from this holiday and created a body of work and there are only really considered to be about 10 works in this series, if you were going to call it a series. Imagine if you could kind of think about it as a work made once somebody has completely broken the mould. They know they've broken the mould. They know they're doing really well. It's an experiment. You're kind of capturing that moment of painting when painting was so revolutionary every new aesthetic was groundbreaking the reaction was huge it was really exciting but you're in your stride you know he's kind of he's in his stride he knows he's kind of made it but it's still at that exciting fresh moment in his career works of this caliber are in museums for the most part, very rarely would you see a work like this in someone's private collection. And I think rarely would you see them sell it. It's like having a dinosaur egg or a, you know, or a Fabergé. It's a really, really unique and rare piece. 
and um, I would imagine that museums are going to be queuing up to buy it and collectors will also be queuing up to buy it. And these works are on view. So this is a kind of once, potentially, a once-in-a-lifetime chance to see this painting in the flesh. We don't know if it's going to go to a collector or to a museum, so this could be uh, the last chance we get to see it. Guitar Sur une Table by Pablo Picasso will be up for auction along with other works from William S. Paley's collection as part of Sotheby's Modern Evening Auction on November 14th. Further works will also be sold across the Modern Day, Contemporary Evening and Contemporary Day auctions later in that week. Head to sotheby's.com for more information. On Collecting is a Monocle 24 production with Sotheby's, produced by Holly Fisher. Join me, Chiara Rimella, next time when we'll be introduced to more groundbreaking collections and the extraordinary people who put them together. <laughs>